that would be a huge, a hugely disappointing thing. <laughs> because it's not going to happen in two years. Uh, it's just not possible for it to happen in two years. Um, especially in the spot that we were in. I mean, the spot that we were in after, and I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to get too sidetracked here. We are going to talk about it because now it is four o'clock on the East Coast, and uh, which which means it's it's time for uh, the actual announcements, and and a lot of things are going to be decided that haven't been up to this point about um, uh, what we're going, who is going to sign with whom, and a lot of these things that have been uh, rumored and and reported on are going to be made real, and are going to be. Um, uh, made officialized and, and officiated and so forth. And uh, the um, the uh, the overall strategy of you know doing this over a long period of time means that it's going to take quite a while for those original players to develop, and you're going to have some bad football. But if you're willing to put up with that, then in a couple years after that, well we weren't willing to put up with that. I mean, that was the point. We were not we were not able or we were not willing to put up with um more losing than what we had or or the same we we basically were not re- willing to put up with um a lack of immediate turnaround, which is why John Dorsey was brought in. And everybody in the organization was singing the same tune uh when uh when when all of this went down that Sashi was the problem and then now and the solution is John Dorsey. Okay, so now Dorsey's job is to come in and basically not screw up this this I mean incredible amount of draft capital that um, that he is uh, been been uh, you know has has been bequeathed has had not essentially inherited coming into um, this situation with us and I, I, to this point I you know he he hasn't done that certainly. Uh, but it does. It, it is kind of problematic to my mind because it 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 can run, um, you know, uh, counter to what we've been building and and potentially thwart uh, what it is that we've been doing. But again, I, or I should say, the the potential that lies out there that is still within our grasp that could be frittered away if we spend overspend on players that you know. Are, are are okay, but they're not really going to be a long-term solution. And playing them at the expense of young players that could uh, possibly be the solution uh, at at whatever position group you're talking about, particularly the quarterback position. But to me, if he goes out there and drafts Baker Mayfield number one overall, I basically don't care. I basically really don't care uh, what it is. That uh, that they do after that. Now I'm looking here. There's this is under the breaking news line. Apparently the Miami Dolphins will release Indomitian Sue, the All-Pro defensive tackle. Uh, any interest there? I <laughs> I would I would yeah I would I, you know I wouldn't have too big of a problem. Now they threw a a crazy. I mean they they threw a truly crazy amount. Of of money at Sue when he was available in uh, in free agency a few years ago. So, um, I, I, in order to get him now, I'm not sure what it would what it would take. Uh, but it would. But I would imagine it wouldn't be too much, you know, less crazy than than what he signed the first time around. But man, and that goes to show you too that a lot of these things that happen on uh, on draft day. You know, you, you take a look at the guaranteed money, and the rest of it, it doesn't really. Because I mean, that was two years ago. 
And the guy signed like what a six year contract. And uh, yeah, you know that's that's you know again that's the league. That's uh, that's how it goes. And they, they, what this does now for Miami is because they were in a salary cap. That was why they ended up having to tag Jarvis Landry because they work, couldn't work out some sort of deal with them, and then had to trade him uh, to to us to clear out cap space. Well, now they've cleared out a ton of cap space, but they've also uh, given away a a you know all pro caliber player. And like I say, it'd be interesting. I, I would still imagine, even with the money that we've thrown around over the last couple of days, that we're probably still in position to um, still go out there and and throw down whatever it would take to get him. And if and okay, we're speculating, y'all. If you were to go back to the beginning of this process and reevaluate all of the potential free agency pool, along with. Um, Including Indomitian Sue, would you put him, you know, above Cousins? Would you, where would you put him on this scale? And then, if we were somehow able to pull this, and I'm not suggesting that we're going to. I mean, again, why would uh, anybody uh, sign with us uh, versus going with, you know, a more established franchise with all of our problems and so on and so forth? The answer is because we could throw more money at it than most people. But, um, it's it's. We'll see. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and invest a whole lot of hope into it. By the way, the first um, hour of the of the cast is going to be available momentarily here on the SoundCloud. If you missed any portion of it, and I want to catch up on it later on, or as this goes on throughout the course of the day, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of it, it is available. And also, that's on the DogsByNature.com website, uh, where the widget is there, and you can you can access all of it uh, there as we move along today on. Free Agency Day 2018, the day, same uh, day that Joe Thomas retires from the NFL. Also, the Arizona Cardinals, mentioned them earlier, they have released Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. That's okay, so <laughs> how would you like those two guys? Hey, and that's, you know, we can, we can dream, right? Uh, I, I, would, I, would be, uh, I, w- I would be quite enthusiastic to get uh, either one of or both of those guys. And I realize that would be that runs totally counter to what I was just talking about with the uh, with with the um, you know putting money aside for a long. But I mean, at the same time, the horse is kind of already out of the barn with a lot of this with some of the cash we've thrown around over the last couple of days. So let's go nuts and put a guy in there that will legitimately, along with uh, presumably the acquisitions that we made of Demarius Randall, who. Will it, it is presumed, assumed, but we don't actually know this until uh, you know we we see people break camp and see where guys are actually lined up. But he was drafted as a free safety. They moved him over to cornerback. Maybe you know you put him over at uh, at free safety, and if you get if you were to get this guy to go along with that, okay, secondary fixed. I know people um, want us to go out and uh, address the cornerback position. Maybe we do that in in draft. A lot of people like Denzel Ward, and I, I do too, and that would be. Uh, uh, I have no problem with doing that and addressing the cornerback spot, but shoot, with the way that Jason McCourty played last year and with uh, BBC and Jamar Taylor at least not being the total weakest links of all time, I mean, that's not a weak secondary if you were to throw uh, those two guys in there and if, if Randall you know, actually played well at free safety, which is an assumption nobody can make until we actually see it on the field. But that's, uh, that's, that's pretty big stuff. That's um, th- those two, those those two players being available now, pretty much at the four o'clock mark on free agency day, pretty big, pretty big development. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see where they both uh, wind up. Uh, and we'll, well, that's, that, that's why we did this today. And again, it would be nice if um, 
if either of those guys were to were to end, were to land in Cleveland. But you know, and, and I don't know that it'd be more or less likely for uh, for uh, Honey Badger than it would be for um, Sue. <laughs> but now, okay, here's here is more news. The Browns have added another cornerback to the roster. This is T.J. Carey. So this is more money being thrown around. Four years, thirty-one million, and this is he played with the uh, the Oakland Raiders. It's uh, ten million fully guaranteed, as is reported by uh, Adam Kaplan. I'm getting this off the, the uh, DBN uh, website. So another guy. Are you excited about that? Are you excited about T.J. Carey? Not too bad. I mean, you know, this is added, this is certainly bolstering a position group that a lot of people uh, thought was an area of weakness. Certainly. I, th- I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think the secondary, mostly the safety position, was a huge problem for us last year. But um, you know, the, the people definitely can um, uh, throw a healthy amount of, of criticism at the cornerback position as well. But you know, again, you can talk about scheme, and 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 I don't mean to say that in a negative way about uh, Greg Williams and his uh, ability to or lack thereof to properly scheme for uh uh you know the defense that we had the player the personnel that we had on the field I just think it probably had more to do with the fact that it was new and it was pretty different from the year before and you know it just takes we as we see every year we see guys out of position you know the last time we had a solid defense really want to pin down the last time our defense really you could look at and say that's a solid defensive unit was 2012 now, what's significant about 2012? 2012 was the second year of Dick Duran, who was our last good defensive coordinator. Um, and the 4-3 that they ran there with DQ in the middle, and we had a, we had a solid defense that year. They weren't, you know, great, but they were pretty much, uh, you know, at home all the time and made plays, you know, not a whole lot of missed tackles, and they covered their spots, and it was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a good defense. A terrible, terrible offense, but, you know. It's uh, it's what it is. I think it was a year we had weeds pulling the trigger. But uh, at any rate, we um, oh, I, my, my, my man uh, Dartho is uh, chiming in here. That he, um, yeah, go ahead, Darth, if you want to. You, you can get up in here if uh, any time. But the uh, I would say that the majority of the problems that we had uh, with the secondary, especially last year, had to do with the the terrible weakness. And really, the um, disappointing annou- uh, a play specifically of uh, Jabril Peppers, and Peppers was uh, the guy that you know we traded. F- uh, we traded the twelve overall. We traded down to the twenty-five, and uh, with that, we took Peppers, and we also got the fifty-two from uh, Houston, which we used on Deshaun Kaiser, who has now been uh, was just traded for Randall Demarius Randall, just talking about a, a few a few moments ago. And the pick that we now have, the number four overall. And you know, while while I'm not really all that upset about us passing on Watson, I know that that's a you know, that's, that's that's a thing that uh, that people do, you know, wail and gnash teeth over. It's it's not really something that I'm particularly uh, concerned about, uh, and only because I, I did see his rookie season, but I'm just not convinced that that it's going to hold up over time. But that is a, a, a separate conversation to be had. I'm going to welcome in now uh, my friend and a gentleman that 
has uh, been a contributor in the past to what we do here on the DBN Network, Browns fans talking to Browns fans, and we're doing it live here today. He is going to be sidekicking it with me during the most important draft of our lifetimes 2018 coverage coming up here in just a few, not even uh, two months away. He is a regular contributor to the Daily Dog Chow, along with the sometimes host of his own uh, cast here on the network, Absolute Browns, uh, the one, the lonely, Darth Batman. Darth, though, (laughs) welcome, brother. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad about yourself. It's a wonderful day to be alive and even better on free agency day, uh, rooting for these uh, Roarange helmets. Uh, Let me ask you, first of all, um, give me your reaction to the announcement of Joe Thomas and uh, his retirement from the NFL. I cried. I, I didn't go that far, but uh, can you? I mean, not, not like like a little baby, but I, I shed a tear when I pulled that up. And I'm not, it was I'm not like, judging you or anything. I'm just saying I didn't. It, because, well, 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 I, my, my fandom doesn't go as far back as yours. And the first year I actually, like, got obsessive where I didn't miss a single game was the 2007 season. So I've been like on this train ever since um, uh, uh, Joe Thomas has come in. And now it's like, well, what's life as a Browns fan without Joe Thomas now? So uh, that's something I'm going to have to learn uh, because no matter what happened, it was always Joe Thomas. And now it's uh, maybe Hubbard, maybe Coleman, maybe Drango, maybe some guy that we don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's you know, I, the utilitarian aspect of this. You know, what what are we going to do now at the left tackle position? And that's that obviously is an important consideration, and and the one that's that's on a lot of people's minds right now in immediate sense because like right now is the time that we can possibly do something about it. Well, the free agency period is going along, but I think that you would agree that his contribution to the franchise was was more than simply being really great at left tackle. I mean, for me personally. Uh, losing him, it's almost like losing a member of the family in a sense. Uh, obviously, I've never met the man, and, and you know, we're, we're, we're probably not going to break bread anytime soon. But, but it's still, I mean, this team, you know, when, you, when you've been putting up with it for as long as we have, and, and it's all out of love, and you see guys that eh, not even to be critical of other players that come and go, because why would they be loyal to, to this team, the city, or anything else? But you see a guy that comes in, puts in the work, you know, was drafted really high and absolutely justified his draft status from the first snap of his career to the last one, which spanned 10,363 non-missed, excellent play. Um, to me personally, what he meant was more than just an excellent player at left tackle. He was he was really, um, like you say, kind of the, 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 one, the one part of the team that I always look at and say, at least we have him if we have nothing else at all. He was the embodiment of the Cleveland Browns. You know, you see him, that's the Browns. That's what you want your Browns players to be like, that guy right there. Everybody wants to be Joe Thomas. Even if it's not playing left tackle, you want to be Joe Thomas. You want to be that guy everybody loves, no matter what. And he was, and he still is. And even though as sad as it's going to be not having him out there uh, protecting whatever quarterback we end up having to start the season, it's going to be... Uh, you're still going to root for the guy no matter what endeavor he does, uh, whether it's broadcasting or continuing his number one podcast in the world with uh, Joe Hawk, or sorry, yeah. uh, Joe, or at least the world. Hawkins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tomahawk. Yes. 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 They have a thing on their cell where, where they end the show. They say, go or uh, Joe Hawk yourself. So I, I, I wanted to say that there good, for a second. Good. Good. good, good so, good. yeah. 
Yeah, well, and and we are enthusiastic supporters of uh, of what they do there. I think that uh, uh, I think Andrew Hawkins is fantastic, and and I think that Joe is uh, well on his way uh, to you know he's he's obviously going to have plenty of opportunities to, um, to to do anything that he wants to in the broadcast realm. I mean, the guy has you know I mean, are you familiar with the concept of Q factor, which is basically just likability? Like some people, you can't really put. Um, you know whether whether or not they they can uh, throw it outside the car bash or are tall enough for cold weather, had enough people at the birthday party or whatever the measurables you look at, uh, they're just you know they they I don't know if I'm wrong. Uh, the like they're likable guys no matter what, even exactly. though they could flat out suck, but you still like them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in this case, it's uh, not even that that he's bad at it. He's just no, no. so incredibly likable. That yeah. even if he were, he could overcome it, which means that he's going to mm. probably get. It's kind of like a guy. This is, this is an excellent analogy coming up. It's kind of like a guy like Josh Allen is going to end up getting a lot more chances to start at the NFL level, even though more than he deserves through his actual ability to play quarterback in the NFL because he's got this most this like most incredible arm that anybody's ever seen, and because of the physical attributes, um, he's going to get more of a shot than. Than other quarterbacks might because if they had like more average uh, uh, traits, and the same was true in uh, in this realm where somebody that you know maybe if they're they don't have all of the the, the you know broadcast fundamentals you know if you will uh, up to speed, they're just so likable that they're going to catch on. Uh, a guy like yeah, Tony yeah. Romo comes to mind. You know, Romo I think is is excellent at what he does. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and one of the reasons why is because he's just really, really likable on the screen. I think he also brings an element, and this is something that I think Thomas is going to be good at as well if he gets into especially color commentary, which is what a lot of uh, former athletes do, um, is, is being able to break down the play. So, like, if I'm, watching, if I'm watching it, it's like I'm learning something as I'm listening to the guy talk about it because he's breaking down a, a portion of the game that, as a fan, you're not privy to because, you know, you've never been in the huddle. Yes. You yes, know what yes, I mean? Yes, exactly. Yes, do, do you yes, agree um, with that? Yes. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Uh, the, 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 just, just I, I, I love the bluntness of what their show does. I know we're on one, our own podcast, but if you guys have not listened to the Tomahawk show, definitely give that a listen. It is worth every minute of it, and I, I, I listen to it pretty much every every week on my way home from work. I have an hour drive, so I have plenty of time to listen to it. And the stories they tell about in the lockers during spring uh, or the, the uh, training camps and all that crazy stuff, you know, what it is like to go to, you know, Super Bowl party as an NFL player and all these crazy stories that they have. And um, actually, uh, one of my favorite episodes and probably one uh, uh, was the Manziel episode. If you guys have not listened to that, that was actually pretty – um, eye-opening, and I, I will give Manziel credit here. He admitted he was not ready. He should never have played right then and there at that moment. He's like, why am I playing? Keep Hoyer out there. He was the, like, probably almost as a big of a Hoyer fan at that time as probably uh, Big Town Brown. Yeah, I, um, that is a a really... I, I thought eye-opening is a good way to describe it. it. It was very instructive for a lot of things. And, you know, I can understand people having a, a healthy amount of animosity for uh, Johnny Manziel and mm-hmm. the way that all of that went down. But the thing that it really is worth it, if you haven't done this, as Darth suggests, go out and find that one and listen to it because there's a lot of information there that some things are that you maybe you, you, um, you know thought was going on kind of gets confirmed. Uh, it was going on during that time. And one of them, as you say, is that the entire team was like, why are we pulling away from Hoyer? 
not only is is the team behind him, but John Manziel was clearly. I mean, he was describing um, where he was at, like in the in the practices. They this kid was he was he just was flat out not ready, and it's understandable because of the way that you know the the toxic environment that was going on at the time. Not to mention the fact that he was the whole. Um, you know, had had the whole kind of celebrity thing going on. I mean, if you really right up until uh, that first start against Cincinnati, he was, you know, fairly active in terms of the the whole. Um, not necessarily him doing a lot of flamboyant stuff and and uh, being active in, but I mean, saying he had like the 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 commercials that were going on. He was in the spotlight all the time. All that that kind of you know stuff that was going on in his life wasn't spending the time to learn uh, or enough time or hadn't had enough time at that point to know NFL offenses. Gets thrown in there. Uh, you know, because of the, you know, who knows? I mean, there's there's all sorts of, uh, and, and some of this is actually corroborated too, the pressure that is put in place uh, to put him in there, even though it wasn't the right move. And then he falls flat on his face. The team completely at that point realizes that it's over. Uh, and they kind of pack it in at that point. And that, and by the way, that represents, <laughs> that whole thing represents the best that we have had in the last 10 years. Uh, 11 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm, I got two two things here. One, he did confirm that it was the front office is the reason why he got saw the field there. It had nothing to do with the coaches, including or specifically uh, Shanahan. Sh- Shanahan did not even want him on the team, and he even admitted that Shanahan didn't want him on the team. Secondly, uh, as a huge Joe Thomas fan, even though I don't control the team and what the team does, I almost feel like we have let Joe Thomas down for the fact that he went 11 years and had one winning season and never saw a playoff game. I, I, I know I don't control him or the team and I don't control how they work, but I almost feel like I've let him down as a person because <laughs> well, he's such a likable guy. Well, you can't. I mean, you can't put it out. You, speak, you, know, you saying that, though, you know, that was something that Manziel did say. Because in at the end of that, which is, you know, and, you know, there are some people out there like Corey that think that it's all BS and that it's just, okay, he's just he's just running his mouth. He's just saying what he's got to say. And you can choose to believe him or not, all right? But he at least said to Joe Thomas, and he said it uh, in the presence of, of Andrew Hawkins, and he, he at least sounded sincere to me, but he at least said, hey, you know, this guy is the best that's ever played at his position, and he's had... Uh, you know, just terrible teams to play for. And I feel like I contributed to that because I was out there not taking it seriously enough, not doing what I was supposed to be doing, not fulfilling my responsibilities. And because of that, uh, or, or, you know, a portion of that is, or I should say that contributed to, you know, him not having any success, uh, you know, going throughout his entire career, which I thought, I mean, that's a pretty... I mean, whether, whether or not he's just saying it just to say it, it's still, he said it. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and I, I think that that's a pretty wh- whatever else you want to say about the guy. I thought that that was a pretty uh, stand up thing, and I came away from that whole thing with much more respect uh, for Johnny Manziel. Not that it matters. Um, not that I would ever want him back on the team or anything like that. And and like I and or, or nor that I would root for him now. And where I whereas I would have rooted against him previously because it wasn't like that. I it's like I was saying earlier about um, uh, uh, Crowell. Once they're gone, I don't really care. Um, I, I don't really have anything for you. I don't really have anything against you. There are, are some exceptions. If you leave us and go play for the Steelers or the Ravens, okay, you know that's a that's a different that, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, if other... we try, try if we like try to extend a contract like right at a contract year, and they go just you know the Ravens or the Steelers for less money out of spite for us, even though we did nothing but good, 
granted that's probably have not never happened but if that scenario has will ever happen yeah i will definitely root for you to just be the worst player ever in the world well, and I mean, it, I can't think of an example right off the top of my head other than, of course, um, confirmed terrorist Joe Hayden. I, I can't really think of another one where a guy well, has left well, us. Well, that one, that one's a little bit different. We tried to give him a pay cut, and so so that that that's not, that doesn't even count there. I know. We we said either pay cut or get cut. I just so. I just like turning the screws, but it's all good. <laughs> um, but no, and and that's 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 uh, and then in that scenario. Um, you know, it, it was reported that he. W- but see, there again, too, I can understand a guy like him wanting to go to a team and be successful. And I don't really have a problem. I, I can even understand the notion of you know, I watched this team be successful my entire career while I play on this this dog ass team the entire time. And yeah. uh, I can understand him then being you know. But at the same time, all right, dude, I don't got anything. I don't have anything against you, but I don't got anything for you either. I don't have any hard feelings, but I don't have any feelings. I'm done with you at that point. And I'm really done with – like, I may have had a, a passing, like, if I see you do something well later on in your career for another team, like in the playoffs or something, I'm like, all right, that's cool, good for whoever. Um, but now all I'm going to do is root for uh, root against your success and your team's success for as long as you play for that bastard team. Over, Actually, no, I always uh, save the bastard connotation for uh, that team in Baltimore. Um, some movements today, uh, Mr. Darth Batman, which is – and I don't know if you've heard this yet, but it's uh, fairly um, new news, uh, is that the Dolphins have released Indomitian Sue. And yeah, I the, knew that was going to happen. And the Cardinals have released uh, Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. I, 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 I am actually uh, carefully watching that. I don't think we have a chance, but you never know. Maybe, maybe we get the Honey Badger. Would you want the Honey Badger? I would, I would love both of them. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know that either one of them are coming here, but yeah, oh yeah, I would take either one of them. I, I, I don't know how about feel about uh, uh, Sanu or uh, or Sue. Sorry, um, he's getting a little bit older. He's a, honestly, and, and this goes back to the, a conversation that I had with uh, Big Town Brown right before the beginning of the season. I don't want uh, dirty players. I mean, like where you go out there and you're trying to break. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' ankle on, on in between plays, stuff like that. I don't want that. I don't even care if it's against the Steelers and stuff. And yeah, and I'm probably in the minority on this, especially against the Steelers or the Ravens or even the Bengals because they've done that to us. Why not do that to them? No, I want to. I don't want to play dirty against them. I want to beat them cleanly and let them. They can play dirty and we beat them cleanly. That's more insult to injury to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other side of that coin is that. Um... You know, losing with a bunch of Boy Scouts doesn't really make it. You know, doesn't doesn't really make the pill any easier to swallow. It doesn't make it any uh, less painful to. Uh, and not to say that that, it, that it's an exact dichotomy. I'm with you there, and certainly Sue has a reputation that's well deserved. Uh, but I, you know, at the same time, I, yeah, I, I would I would want look at I would want for everybody in the world to be better people to each other. Um, that don't happen though, and so I'm, I'm I'm fine with the world being the way that it is, and as long as he doesn't like in, you know injure some guy, I I don't really have a problem with 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 you know especially if it's against the, you mentioned the Steelers and the Ravens, I would I guess I would be a little bit more um, high moral about it if if it wasn't for the fact that it's not even so much getting payback. All right, it's that that's not even the the the, the motivating factor here. It's that, okay, if the league isn't going to enforce any sort of discipline against those franchises for what they continue to do, especially the Steelers, 
then then what the hell? Then there are, there really aren't any rules as as it, as it uh, pertains to all of this. And so well, yeah, well the, no that that that's where you're incorrect. We're the Browns, so there's going to be a penalty no matter what. Well, okay. You, you know this. You already know this in the bottom of your heart that we could try to play, you know, one-third the way that they are, and we're going to get penalties. We're going to have players suspended. They're going to get fined. We're going to lose draft picks because of all this crazy stuff. Even if it's just not even really it's a ticky-tacky kind of, okay, that was a little – that was a slight late hit or something like that. Or, well, other than that one time that uh, Danny Shelton did um, – uh, uh, what was that thing he did to uh, Ben Roethlisberger? It like uh, kind of. I don't think he, it was Roethlisberger, but it was. Uh, I think it was. I think it was a Steeler lineman. He like grabbed his leg and like tried to pull out a joint or something. It was. It was. It was definitely. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. I, I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. Uh, yeah, that's a, that that that's what I'm thinking of. It has something to do with this. So that was an able um, move to be sure. Um, real quick though, I I do need to step off here for about an hour or so. Uh, if this thing is still going, I'm going to jump back on. So. Um, I know this was not very quickly, but something popped up real quick, so uh, uh, I might be back. Well, that's that that that's wonderful, uh, almost promise. We appreciate you taking the time to uh, to uh, jump in, and that's uh, Darth well, Batman, and maybe we'll talk to you later just, on. Just giving a preview for the draft. Well, well, wonderful. Oh, and and real quick, uh, me and Big Town Brown will be back at it here this weekend uh, to review everything that's happened over the last several months. About time. Okay. I know, right? Well, we certainly appreciate it, and we'll uh, maybe we'll talk to you again. And if not, we'll definitely talk to you on draft day. All right, sounds good. All right, bro. All right. That was uh, big, or that was not big time Brown. That was that was Darth Batman, who uh, does partner with Big Time Brown and the Absolute Browns program on the uh, the DBN network. And we are today covering the news and movements of the Cleveland Browns and the National Football League. And to recap, if you don't know what the Browns have done today, they the most recent uh, movement is the signing of cornerback T.J. Carey from the Oakland Raiders. Earlier today, the, ad, the addition of Darren Fells, tight end from blocking tight end predominantly from the Detroit Lions. The cornerback Terrence Mitchell, Mitchell from Kansas City comes over. Uh, and then yet, and then as was also reported first thing this morning, Carlos Hyde, the former Ohio State running back, former San Francisco 49er, now joins the ball club for a three-year deal. Yesterday, it was announced that we were going to be bringing in Steelers offensive tackle Chris Hubbard, who now with the announcement today of uh, Joe Thomas's retirement, uh, figures definitely to be starting somewhere uh, at one of those tackle positions on the Browns offensive line. We also added defensive end Chris Smith from the Cincinnati Bengals, and he will presumably compete with uh, Carl Nassib uh, at depth at the edge spot. We also were uh, unable to work anything out with uh, Nate Solder, who was rumored all day yesterday we would uh, possibly have a shot at and that there was an interest in us and all of that. Uh, We did add the uh, tackle Chris Stevenson as well uh, yesterday. So then that added to the three moves, that the four moves that were made over the weekend where we traded the number 65 overall, the third pick in the draft, or the, I'm sorry, the third round, the first pick in the third round of this year's draft to the Buffalo Bills for quarterback Tyrod Taylor. We then sent our uh, fifth this year and our seventh next year to the Miami Dolphins for 
wide receiver Jarvis Landry. We then sent uh, Deshaun Kaiser to the Green Bay Packers in exchange for Demarius Randall, the cornerback who was drafted uh, as a free safety that they moved the cornerback that presumably we will move back to the cornerback position, but time will tell uh, how all that's going to play out. We also swapped picks with Green Bay for that. So we gave up Kaiser, and we had the early picks in uh, the rounds with Green Bay uh, giving up their picks in exchange. The swap means that they that the player that had the higher uh, value in the trade was, uh, was Randall. Okay, well, at least that's how the trade went down. Whether or not that ends up to be true uh, remains to be seen. But it is addressing the position, and those three moves on Friday, uh, you know, talking with people, it was like, man, I can't wait until Wednesday, uh, you know, and and over the weekend to find out who we're going to get because, you know, we're off to such a great start. And I was like, you know, might might be worth, um, you know, considering that, uh, it may, we're probably not going to make too many huge, more splashy things than we ended up doing with those guys. And as it's turned out, uh, and, I, and, I th- and that's not to say, I mean, that's a pretty good haul. I mean, I thought that those three guys were pretty good um, to, to be um, adding in, in one, especially I, I didn't even get what Friday was about. Like all of a sudden out of nowhere, the Browns make three trades. There wasn't like any sort of deadline, but there's bam, they just, they just hit it all up on that day. So that was kind of like the, the uh, the prelude to the free agency period, and now as we are fully in it, um, well, you've just you know heard the players that I've mentioned, and I'm not guessing that too many of them are ones that people would be doing uh, would would have been terribly excited about, you know, coming into the free agency period where you're looking at kind of the list of the, of the people that are going to be available and saying I'd really like to get this guy, I really like th- this guy. I'm not really sure that T.J. Carey and Darren Fells, Terrence Mitchell. Maybe Carlos Hyde, but not too many of those guys are, you know, considered. I, I, may, I could be wrong, you know. Maybe, maybe I am wrong. Maybe this is. Maybe these are the guys that everybody had. Like this is what it takes for us to turn it around, and it's Terrence Mitchell. I, I you know, I don't think so. The the, you know, this whole off season up to this point, there's it's been sort of fracturous. When Sashi Brown was was let go, we. Uh, um, hired John Dorsey to replace him very quickly. And there really was kind of two factions that, that came off of that. The first was, you know, obviously the, uh, the, the, the people that were upset about the sacking of Sashi Brown, uh, affectionately referred to in some quarters as Sashi Apologists. Well, you also have, and, and then you get people that are then uh, likewise very supportive of, of John Dorsey, who's affectionately referred to as Meathead around these parts. Well, and a lot of that has to do with the whole press conference where he comes out and says we don't have any real players, uh, which is, okay, fine. Uh, so that's been kind of the whole thing where you've got people that are very supportive of of, um, of Dorsey versus people that think that Dorsey was not the right hire, and uh, or not necessarily he wasn't the right hire, but that it was stupid to uh, fire Sashi Brown, which is really where I'm at. I, I, I thought that it was very stupid to fire Sashi Brown, but like I said, even though it was the dumbest thing that Jimmy Haslam could have done, that doesn't mean that hiring John Dorsey to replace him was the worst decision that he could have made, right? I mean, just because you make a bad decision doesn't mean that you can't make a good decision to fix that bad decision. It's not terribly likely, given, you know, a multitude of circumstance, history, common sense, visual, you know, corroboration, and so forth. But either way, 
it's um it's, you know it's it's at least a possibility right and so that's where we are with it um but it's definitely a, a thing where he's going to be doing things a, a different way and in kind of looking at all of this there were some that were speculating that okay what this is going to end up leading to is we're going to end up you know going out and making a splash just to make a splash go out and signing a whole bunch of guys uh, just to sign a whole bunch of guys. Julius Thomas uh, was released from the Dolphins, the tight end there. There's another uh, bit of news out there. It's interesting that as the uh, the actual free agency period happens, it's more the most news is people uh, getting released than uh, a lot of guys that are, are getting inked out there. Although Patrick Robinson uh, re-signed with the Saints, if you're interested in, in that going out there. The Lions, the Lions uh, gave up. Darren Fells to us. They've also uh, given up on Eric Ebron, who was a first-round draft pick for them a couple of years ago. So, you know, a little bit more more movement out there, and so more free agents are being created. It's just an interesting uh, way that it that it kind of uh, has progressed over the years. It used to be, you know, this time period at four o'clock, you really didn't know what was going to happen. You had some rumors or whatever, and then four o'clock happened, and then there was a flurry of activity. Now this year, it's like there's a bunch of stuff that happens a couple days into it. And by the time you get to this point, all of the big stuff has already happened, but now other stuff is happening and it kind of dominates the, uh, uh, the conversation from that point forward. But back to kind of this dichotomy between uh, Sashi and, and uh, John Dorsey, the, uh, the, the term that was referred to that was coined in reaction to the sort of approach that Mr. Dorsey would take is, and I think it's, it's hilarious. It's dude valanche. Basically means just, you know, an avalanche of just just guys that are, you know, they're, they're, they may be marginally better than the you know, one or two year players that are currently on the roster, but they're really not. They're, they're kind of jags, you know, and it, which if you don't know that acronym, it's just a guy. It's not really anybody special, kind of a replacement level player, a guy that you could probably get off of uh, the free agency off the street at any given uh, point and that we would basically target a whole bunch of guys like that. Uh, and they would come in, and we'd pay them, way overpay them, uh, and that was the the operating uh, uh, theory about how this whole thing was going to go down. Again, from the people that were not exactly uh, enthusiastic about Dorsey and his ascension to the GM role from, well, doing nothing because he was fired by Kansas City after, you know, trading a lot of their draft capital last year for Patrick Mahomes, which I, you know, think is a good move because he's going to end up being a really good quarterback, but... Uh, none, and plus also putting in Kansas City in this spot where they're in right now where they really are in some some fairly serious uh, salary cap uh, trouble. But uh, be that as it may, uh, I, I don't know that it necessarily – if you are – if you are, I, I think that on either side of this, if you were you know against John Dorsey and what he was going to do, you could look at everything that's happened up to this point and be like, you know, okay, this is, this, 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 this is not going well at all. You could also be, if you were in full-throated support of what Dorsey, you know, as far as, you know, him being the guy, because he was brought in with all the fanfare. This is the guy. He's the why he's going he's gonna to be the one that's going to pick the right guys. He's going to sign the right guys. He's going to draft the right guys, and he's going to do all the right guys. Okay, fine. Uh, if you're a believer in that, you can very well look at what's going on and say, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good we got rid of Danny Schultz. He's a bum. It's a good thing that we, you know, we traded uh, Deshaun Kaiser. He's, you know, he's dumb. And whatever else that he's done so far, you know, I, I think that with all of this stuff, uh, it's it's definitely going to have to it's going to take some time for it all to to percolate and and see what the final picture looks like, and for us it's like all right the free agency portion of this is really important but now especially with the trading away of Deshaun Kaiser 
you know, it, it really is just going to come down to what we do in the draft. Uh, how, how, whether my excitement level is going to be directly uh, corollary to what it is we are doing uh, with the number one overall pick, or if for some reason we do this crazy idea that, and it is, I, I am not, I am not, I am not at all even a little bit in favor of using the number one selection on anything other than a quarterback, very much including Saquon Barkley or anybody else. Whoever else that you like out there, none of them are worth more than getting the quarterback that we want. And that guy should be Baker Mayfield. If it's not him, then hopefully it's just not Josh Allen. But whoever it is, um, it should be the guy that we take number one. And then, you know, whatever we do with the number four, we do with the number four. But but all, all of our fortunes really hinge on that. And whether or not I think we're going to be successful coming up here in 2018, long shot to be sure, but it has now everything to do with what we do in the draft. If Tyrod Taylor – here's what we know. We know that Tyrod Taylor is going to be on the roster. So if Tyrod Taylor is on the roster in uh, – as the oh, obviously he's going to be on the roster. If he's the starter going in uh, uh, 2018, if he's the guy that's the opening day starter and he is the guy that stays the starter throughout the course of the year until he eventually comes out and the rookie comes in and plays, then – which is overwhelmingly likely to happen – because it always does whenever we do it this way, uh, which is not to criticize this. We're doing it this way. I'm just saying if it does work out this way, then uh, I wouldn't. I would. I would probably put my expect my win level expectation at about where it was last year, going into the year, like four wins. It's probably maybe five. Uh, I wouldn't in that range. That's about what I would expect going into that. Uh, and if it's if it's any of the rookie quarterbacks other than Baker Mayfield, about the same. Baker Mayfield, we win eight games next year. I am that I am that high on Baker Mayfield as far as his ability to immediately come in and be a good quarterback in the NFL. And that's – I've said it multiple times. If we draft him, we will win eight games next year. And if I'm wrong, you can, you know, uh, throw rocks at me verbally um, and, you know, r- remind me that I made such an oh-so-stupid maneuver. But first we'd have to draft him in order for that to come to fruition. And then when that happens, just watch. He will be the starter, and he will win at least eight games. But be that as it may, that's really um, you know, far from now. It's, it's, it's far from where we are right at this moment, which is looking at you know, who we have on the roster, who we can add to it uh, through the free agency pool. And to this point, we've added some depth at the tackle position. We probably added a new – not probably. We've definitely added a new starter at the tackle position. Uh, which is, you know, considering that Nate Solder was kind of looked at as the only tackle option that was available uh, this year, and it's pretty pretty solid job getting a guy like Hubbard um, kind of under the radar in terms of talent, but somebody that is he played with uh, Todd Haley in Pittsburgh, so certainly Haley knows what he's capable of doing, and presumably if if uh, Haley is going to be running the same sort of offensive scheme in in this iteration of his uh, offensive coordinator role with the Browns then you would you would figure that uh, Hubbard has some familiarity with that and would be able to easily transition maybe help the other linemen uh you know to get get up to speed in in the same way I you know I don't I don't I don't know if he's if he's going to have that sort of impact but certainly you know he takes one of the tackle spots and now maybe you know, in looking at what we do in the draft, uh, with with Joe definitely not coming back now, maybe the move is to um, look at a tackle. Now, I, I would not uh, in this draft class. I don't think that I would be looking at a tackle at number four. Uh, and, and I don't, 
because the tackle the tackle class is not it's not what it's been in in, uh, in recent years. And certainly, there's there's nobody of a Joe Cal- uh, Thomas or even close to Joe Thomas caliber that's coming out this year. There are a couple of players, McGlinchey, uh, uh, Williams. There's a couple of guys, Orlando Brown. A lot of people like, although he had a very, 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 very poor combine, which doesn't mean everything, but it does mean something. And what it means is that he's probably going to go from being a, a first round prospect uh, going into it to being maybe a, a day three guy, possibly. Time will tell, uh, certainly where all of these guys are going to go. But you would think now at this point uh, with us adding a couple of guys through free agency that you know that we probably would also target one in the draft. And where we get that guy now remains to be seen. I think that in looking at what we would do in the draft, we take the quarterback number one overall. And I had you know, a scenario I pointed out earlier where we could have you know quarterbacks go one, two, three, and then here, there we are with the ability to trade to a desperate team that wants that fourth guy. Uh, and hopefully it's Denver, and hopefully the guy they want is Josh Allen, and they give us their first round pick in response. That would be that would be wonderful. But uh, some team out there that wants a quarterback, or who you know, even if it's not a quarterback, if some team out there really wants Saquon Barkley, and I look at I I've been you know kind of uh, back and forth on this. When I first started watching uh, prospects last year, I saw Saquon. I'm like, man, this guy's awesome. This guy is going to be a stud. This, this, I mean, I was, I was all in. And then I really started going back after the offseason started, and I watched the tape, and I was very much less enamored. Not to say that he wasn't going to be a good prospect, but just that, you know, some of the deficiencies in his game, and then when you consider the positional value uh, running back, it's, it's, it's one of these things that it's just not worth, and our own recent history would suggest that it's probably not worth spending that high of a draft pick unless the guy is really lights out. And then he goes out and puts out a lights-out combine. And that forces you to go back, okay, let's look at the tape again. And then at that point, it's a lot easier to see the really long runs than to see the runs where he's running backwards a lot or the ones where he's trying to jump over people all the time. I didn't mean to you know get off on a thing about Saquon. All I'm saying is that I would, I, I would not be unhappy Okay, if we drafted him at number four, I, I a couple of weeks back, I before the combine, certainly I would have been I would have been like, man, we just this is now nah, we're spinning our wheels, especially if we would have like also drafted Josh Allen with the number one overall or something like that. Uh, I, I would I would have definitely not been enthusiastic about that series of that sequence of events. Um, but now I'm looking at it like I, I wouldn't mind us drafting him if that's how it turns out, because I think that with the with you know the measurables and the type of uh you know uh line that we have even now with Joe being replaced by whether it's going to be Coleman or Hubbard or whoever or, or Rod Johnson who's still on the roster whoever however we do that I think the offensive line is still going to be solid from a run blocking standpoint and so um you know that that is you, you throw a, uh, a quality back in there and guy with his sort of you know speed and strength and power and quickness and you know uh, all that he can bring, and, and okay, I, I'm not terribly unhappy with it. The guy that I was really wanting going into the combine uh, that I was thinking it for is Bradley Chubb. Uh, Bradley Chubb had a really poor three cone, and that is a problem. That's something that is that, that can be a pretty red, pretty serious red flag for an edge prospect. So uh, that 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 doesn't mean that I I wouldn't be interested in drafting him. It just means that. I'm no longer thinking that he's going to be Garrett 2.0, which <clears throat> what he, is what he looked like to me uh, in watching the film on him. But 
again, and, and film watching, you know, when it comes to all these prospects, the one thing that I love about draft season is everybody, we all watch the same stuff, but we all come away with wildly different conclusions as to what it is that we've just, and it's, it's actually a synopsis of DBN. It's what we do all the time. We all see the same stuff, and then we argue about what we've all just saw. Uh, which is fine. I mean, it's it's cool. It's it's what we do. It's uh it's how we pass the time and whatnot. And uh, I certainly enjoy it. And uh and 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 I hope that you do too. And I hope that you're enjoying uh uh here. Uh, you know, as we're pontificating here on uh, what the or I should say prognosticating on what uh, we're going to be doing in the draft, and uh, also reporting on what's going on throughout the league in uh, free agency here on the the free agency day. But as I say. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to Barkley. I wouldn't be, but I'm not as enthusiastic as I as I was about Bradley Chubb. There's Minka Fitzpatrick, who was the guy at the beginning of this was kind of like, oh yeah, that's the guy that we got to take it for. And then you watch him, and he's got, I mean, he's got some tremendous traits. I, I, he really is a good football player. Problem is, is that you don't know. It's not really sure where you're going to play him. I mean, does he play? He played mostly the slot at Alabama. He didn't really play a whole lot outside. He didn't really play a whole lot at safety. And so do you take a, a slot corner and put him at four, or do you draft him with the assumption, and Hugh has already said that he can play outside. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be unhappy, is what, is what I'm getting at, with any of those guys. And then the other guy that you throw into the conversation is Quentin Nelson, the guard out of uh, – um, I'm drawing a blank where the kid plays uh, uh, college ball. But he's the, uh, the best uh, guard and one of the best prospects that's in the draft. Thus, you know, you put him in there uh, in, the, in the mix, but we've got Zeitler and we've got Batonio already, and you don't figure that any of those guys can kick out and play tackle. So when, you, when that is what you're looking at, and I've also got to mention uh, Denzel Ward, the cornerback from Ohio State. So there's, you know, there's a variety of uh, options that you can go with there. But to my mind, looking at it right now, I probably would go now – Maybe Fitzpatrick and then Ward, but probably ultimately a trade down looks like the best course of action here. And not just because of the whole sashy thing I talked about earlier with the with the stockpiling picks for next year, but I really do think that you can get a team to come off a, a pretty large amount of draft picks. I mean, what if it goes this way? I mean, you're, we're sitting there at number four, and what if uh, you know we take the quarterback at number one, and the Giants, you know, uh, surprise at least me. Uh, there are some people that are. Th- There's a lot of of uh, scuttlebutt out there that they're going to take Barkley, or they're going to take Nelson, or they're going to take somebody other than a quarterback to replace Eli Manning, which is just stupefying to me. You know, you have a team that is had has had one of its worst seasons in in memory. They got the number two pick. There's four quarterbacks that are. You know, franchise caliber sitting there staring at you, and you're gonna you're gonna pass them up. Whatever. I mean, if that's what they do, that's what they do. And then the Colts, you know, if they were to you know pass, well, pass on a trade because you wouldn't figure that they're gonna take a quarterback to uh, replace Andrew Luck. But if they were to let's say that the Giants take Barkley and then the Colts take Nelson, because they could certainly use offensive line, they could use help everywhere. Um, you know, uh. At that point, you could you could look at our situation there at number four, and whoever we take at number one, that's the only quarterback off the board. You know, I mean, there may be a, a bonanza of interest for what it is that um, teams may throw down a lot is what I'm saying. There may, there may, there may be an offer out there, you know, a godfather offer that we just um, – that, that – 
causes us. And then if that happens, point is we could do that and we could still probably end up with one of the better position players that are available even if we do move down to. The trade, the trade that I would like the most, quite honestly, is if the, 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 well, the one I would love the most is if the quarterbacks went like, you know, one, two, three, and then we're sitting there and Denver really wants somebody. So we get their, their pick this year and uh, get their number one next year for them to move up one spot. That'd be my favorite trade scenario. My second trade scenario would be basically the same thing, only with the Jets, because they pick immediately after Denver, and I don't want to move down that far. But the one that probably is the most realistic that I could see happening that I would also be in favor of is the number four overall that we trade to Buffalo for their 12, their 22, and their first pick next year. Three for one. Now, I realize that's steep. But, I mean, if they're, if we're in a spot to be able to trade because all the quarterbacks or most of the quarterbacks or the one that they really want is still on the board, and if all of the other quarterbacks are gone, you know, they could also sit there and they can say that, well, you know, uh, what's going to end up happening here is you're not going to draft a quarterback, so we don't have to worry about you. But, I mean, look, the guys that are coming up after us are going to. Denver and New York certainly figure to be if there's two guys that are still left on the board. Uh, but also, we could convince them that another team will, is going to trade up. Point is, we could be in the perver- the proverbial catbird seat for uh, for a lot of these guys. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to look here as I'm talking to you about this, and this is where I'm intentionally losing my train of thought because I'm trying to see if there's any um, new news out there with respect to. Um, I'm really looking at Indama Kinsu and. Uh, and Honey Badger. I want to see if any of those guys land anywhere because it's, it's it would be really interesting to me if either one of them signed today with with somebody. But I think that it would be um, it, it would be a really big move if we were able to land either one of those guys. So just keeping a a, a sharp eye on that activity. As I mentioned, the Dolphins also released uh, Julius Thomas. Wouldn't imagine that we would have a whole lot of interest there. Uh, having just added a tight end, and we drafted a tight end last year. Of course, we got Gavin Escobar. It was one of the f- f- for early moves made by um, John Dorsey, and we still have Seth the Valve on the roster. So uh, I wouldn't think that we would be going in that direction. But uh, some interesting players that are, are still out there and that have yet to um, uh, make their destiny or that are now have become available – uh, due to the process that have gone through today with, with teams cutting players here on the first day of free agency. So, you know, that's where, um, again, a lot of what our fortunes are going to be in uh, in this season in, in 2018 is is really going to come down to what, what we do in that in, in that draft. And, and it very much has an impact on what we do this year. And I, I absolutely believe that if we were to, you know, to draft Barkley number one overall <sighs> – I, I, I don't think it moves the needle at all from what I was saying before. I, th- I still think that we're like a, 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 a four or five win team, maybe, maybe, with, with, uh, with the addition of Barkley. With the addition of Mayfield, it's eight wins. And, and really, there's I, – I don't know that I, – I wouldn't uh, put a whole lot of uh, trying to assign win value on any of the other guys that are out there, uh, Rosen, Lamar Jackson, or Darnold, and then steep drop off Josh Allen, and then the, a, the everybody else that's available – uh, Mason Rudolph. There, there are, I mean, there are people that are talking about Rudolph as a first rounder. This could be the year, and it's cyclical like this. There are years where there's just a whole bunch of quarterbacks that are drafted, whether they should be or not. I think it was was it twenty uh, twenty eleven or twenty twelve where that was the year where you know Christian Ponder and Jake Locker and a whole bunch of guys went, whole bunch of like five guys went in the first round. 
But then what happens is a lot of those guys bomb out, and uh, then teams you know shy away from doing that, and then it goes a couple of years. In the last few years, I thought we were going to have a run like that where there were going to be a whole bunch of quarterbacks drafted. This year, I you know it really does look like I, I am pretty well convinced that the top four guys. Uh, that I keep continuing to mention, Mayfield, Jackson, Rosen, and Darnold, are all going to go top ten. I think that they are that good, and I think this quarterback class is as it, – it, it hasn't been – there hasn't been a quarterback class like this since 1983. And if you're a millennial and you don't uh, know anything about history, then the 1983 draft – I kid. I just like jabbing at you guys. The 1983 draft was that was the year Elway came out. That was the year that Jim Kelly came out. That was the year Dan Marino came out. Then there were guys like Tony Eason and um, um, Todd Blackledge and a whole bunch of other guys that were taken. Kenny O'Brien came out that year for the Jets. Was really good for a lot of years. So th- that's that's what I think the caliber of draft class we're talking about is it, what we have going on this year. Which means there's going to be a lot of position players that are pushed back. That, which is another reason why trading back, especially if we were to do the pick with Buffalo and took their 12, you know, and their 22. Well, there's going to be you know a pretty good prospect, or there's going to be several pretty good prospects available there at 12. And I know that the argument that a lot of people throw back is, "I'm so tired of pressing up on elite prospects in order to get the guys." Are. Problem is, is that just because you take a guy at four doesn't mean that he's going to be an elite prospect. It doesn't mean he's going to be an elite player. And looking at all of the guys that are available, you know, at the, again, unless you want to look at Quentin Nelson, he does look like he's you know that caliber of player. Uh, Ward possibly as well, but they all have you know a, a question mark around them in terms of the, you know whether or not the, the position that they play at is going to be enough to justify taking that high. And again, Ward probably makes the most amount of sense there because cornerback pretty important. We've added a lot of players to the cornerback position, and if we were to add you know that piece, especially if uh, Randall really does solidify, I mean you would figure right now as things stand you would figure that Randall is going to be the starter at free safety and that Peppers would probably move over to strong safety where we all presume and assume and it's, you know, we would think that he would be way more effective than he has been and a a very ineffectual and and head-scratcher position, the angel position, which is where you line the free safety up 45 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And he's supposed to be the guy that catches everything and make sure that nothing gets. I mean, but Peppers mightily struggled in that role, and uh, so you would hope that. Not to say that 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 uh, scheme can't work because it has worked in the NFL. It just didn't work at all for us last year. So you know, presumably, if Randall's going to be there and we're able to put Peppers back at um, you know at a spot where maybe he can excel, and a lot of us last year thought. That he would be, you know, he would be able to flourish in the nickel role, you know, in that extra cornerback kind of in the box can also kind of be an extra linebacker type role, and that was where everybody expected he was going to be. Nope, played center field from day one, never made any sense, and it still doesn't make any sense. After watching it, it never made any sense. It doesn't seem like it fits his skill set, and it seems like he's, which makes him seem like a very very poor player. I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe. Uh, he was just put in a terrible spot because of his uh, lackluster coaching, both uh, from the head uh, coaching spot and from you know the, the defensive coordinator. But you know, time's going to tell on that uh, whether or not it was a bad decision, whether or not he can play that position, whether or not he's going to play that position. It could very well be that he is, um, you know, uh, that they decide, hey, we put him there last year, we developed him here last year. He's our guy. We're going to we're going to keep him there. 
I don't know. Maybe that's the plan. And we're going to continue to keep Randall at cornerback where he uh, uh, was at Green Bay for this point, up, up to this point in his career. All of this is, is uh, speculative at this point, but I would think, I mean, just I would think that, and honestly, it may be that the best combination is to try to uh, play Randall and McCourty at the, at the two safety spots with uh, Peppers playing the nickel role like I'm talking about and everybody else playing at their spot. And then Kindred is just depth at that point. And then draft a guy like Denzel Ward, and I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that. With with the number four, you could do that. But man, I would love to be able to walk out of this draft with a whole bunch of drafted players and a whole bunch of picks in next year. Which is really, and if that happens, by the way, if we do trade the number four, and we end up with an additional first rounder in next year, in next year's draft, it may at that point be worth considering. That maybe this whole Moneyball analytics thing isn't quite dead. I mean, there's a, there's something to be said for uh, the idea that maybe it's the one guy in all of this that's never talked about is, is Paul De Podesta. He was brought in. He's the chief strategy officer. That role has never been defined, and what he does is never actually ever talked about. He's just. Kind of, okay, he's the, he's the chief strategy officer. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he's the, he officiates the, the, the chief strategy. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, what it could possibly mean is that maybe he's the one that's been pulling the strings this whole time. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.